Hello and welcome to the first edition of this recorded audio piece for the Reap and Sew newsletter. Um, I am going to try and keep these pieces relatively short and on point, not more than about 10 minutes, although um, there's quite a lot to say as always. Um, you find me this morning recording from my attic in uh, St Werberg's in Bristol, where I live. Um, I had hoped to record this piece out in nature this morning um but it turns out nature is really noisy and it's a, a sunny spring morning in Bristol and everywhere I went seems to have been full of uh dog walkers or or noisy builders or my neighbors doing work in their gardens so um <clears throat> instead you find me hidden away up in the attic in the hope of uh getting this audio out uh without interruption but we'll see how we get on uh so the last couple of weeks um uh, I've been struggling ever so slightly, I think it would be fair to say. I think quite a lot of us, um, those of us who feel quite a lot of things, have been struggling uh, over the last couple of weeks, um, coming out of or beginning to feel like we were sort of coming to some sort of conclusion with regard to the coronavirus pandemic, only to have war kick off with Ukraine and Russia invade Ukraine, um, has been... I think incredibly emotional um, for a lot of people. I've got a lot of people getting in touch saying that they uh, can't sleep or that they're having terrible nightmares when they do, or a lot of women who say uh, they just keep bursting into tears for no reason and they don't understand why. Um, and I think for those of us who feel a lot of things, when there's a lot of collective grief or trauma or fear around, uh, we, particularly women, not only women, but particularly women, we carry a lot of that in our bodies, even if we don't quite understand uh, how to put words to it, how to put vocabulary to it, or why we feel so uneasy or upset or uncomfortable. Um, I know my heart has been bleeding for people in the Ukraine in Ukraine over the last few weeks um and not knowing quite what to do or how best to help I think there's a lot of desire out there for people to be active um, and to help in some sort of a way um so I'm conscious that in order to build audience and community around this writing, I really need to treat it like a proper job. I need to show up, do the work, publish to a schedule, regardless of whether or not I think something is good enough. Um, and the paid subscriber content, the life story, uh, the stuff that I hope will become a book, uh, has been coming quite easily, to be honest, because... I've done quite a lot of work around it already and um, I have a fair amount of writing in the bank. Um, plus, <clears throat> you might have noticed that we've gone right back to the beginning of my life and at the moment I am procrastinating. <laughs> I think it would be fair to say that I'm tiptoeing around the edges of some of the lighter stuff. So posts over the last couple of weeks have looked at what it was like growing up at the heart of a rave revolution and my memories of Notting Hill Carnival um, in London in the 80s, that sort of thing. Um, but I'm conscious that I'm sort of tiptoeing around the harder, stickier, scary stuff. Um, and there's a couple of reasons for that recently. I think, uh, uh, really, I think that this idea that it's easy to write like this, that it's easy to be kind of brutally honest and transparent about not only you other your experiences of other people working in a particular industry or sector, but but yourself, your own life. Um, is really terrifying. I mean, it is really frightening. It doesn't just come easily or naturally. Um, in the last week, 
my ex-partner, who uh, definitely has found out about the poem that I wrote the other week, um, has accused me of of mining 21 years of our family relationship for likes. Um, and I understand why he sees it that way. I really do. But but that's not what this is. Um, for a start, nobody nobody likes this writing. Nobody nobody likes that I'm doing this writing from from members of my own family. Um, you know, my ex is taking it very is is finding it hard. Um, my mother has stopped talking to me completely. Um, there's a lot of people in my life who would prefer me not to be doing this writing. Um, so why do it? Why why be so kind of vulnerable and publicly transparent about what I've been through? Well. Because I think all that any of us want really is to be seen for the truth of who we are. Um, And I think some of the things that came up for me in the last couple of years is that uh, I'm not sure I've really successfully communicated the truth of who I am um uh you know I, I I am someone who grew up with severe violence and domestic abuse uh I'm someone who became a very uh off the rails and wild teenager as a result of that uh I had experiences as a teenager and a young adult that uh I didn't realize it at the time but had left me with PTSD quite severe PTSD um, I had left home by the time I was 15. I had fallen madly in love with a completely unsuitable man by the time I was 18. Uh, we'd had a baby together by the time I was 21. Um, so this really uh, is a story about um, what it was like to be um, someone who grew up with uh, chaos and upheaval and trauma um, to suddenly find themselves at the heart of a global sustainable food movement. I, I suddenly, at the age of 23, won a scholarship to go to Italy and study at the University of Gastronomic Sciences, and that my work from there on in became work at the at the heart of, at the epicentre of a global sustainable food movement, and a global sustainable food movement that has really interesting, complicated relationships with uh, money in America, uh, new tech money mostly, and in the UK, old class money, um, that a lot of uh, the restaurants and the hospitality industry and the chefs that achieve good stuff and do good work are only able to do so because of this complex relationship tied up with uh, uh, wealth and class and who gets included in spaces and who doesn't. Um, ultimately, this is a story, I think, about what it was like to grow up with chaos and end up in an environment where a lot of the people around you have a lot of things. Um, it's a story about how how does someone like me, how does a woman like me get stuck in a relationship like the one I've been in for the last 21 years? If if I am this strong, articulate, active, independent woman, I mean, I'm a person who gets shit done generally. Um, so how can I possibly be that person on the outside and on the inside spend 21 years in a relationship that I absolutely had no business being in for a, for a long time before it ended. It should have ended a long, long time before it did. Um, and if someone like me can get stuck and if someone like me can end up feeling, uh, losing a lot of self-confidence and losing a lot of self-worth, how does that happen? Like I can see so clearly now how that happens to other people. 
um, I can see so clearly now how people get stuck in places that they shouldn't be. So this ultimately is a story um, about how difficult it is to be a woman uh, who can drive change and be a leader successfully in this country and in this environment. Uh, It's a story about what it's like uh, to be a woman at the heart of a hospitality industry that very much favours men. Um, I want to explore the double standard like I've talked about before. Um, I have to work twice as hard as the boys do. I have to work twice as hard for half of the recognition. Um, I feel like my work is held to a standard uh, that the boys absolutely are not held to. They get away with all kinds of crap compared to how organized and managed and and I am expected to be and I've had enough of that I want to I want to poke around in that space I want to explore why that is why it's okay for some people to get away with things that other people absolutely are not allowed to um as I'm sure you can hear my neighbor has turned his chainsaw back on but I've now recorded this piece about 10 times so I'm just going to ignore it and get through to the end um I mean ultimately this uh newsletter is going to be a piece about what it was like to have quite a severe mental health breakdown at the same time as running arguably in my opinion the best food event anywhere in the country um Uh, And it's going to be an exploration as to how we look after people within our industry when they break. Uh, Do we look after people within our industry when they break? Does the global sustainable food movement have such a influx of young people who care and want to volunteer and want to dedicate their time that actually... If people, women in particular, start to stand up and say, do you know what, there's some stuff about this that really is not okay, do we create space and listening and are we able to drive change in that capacity or um, are we told to sit down and to shut up and if you don't like your job, someone else will always come along and do it because there are 10 more hungry young things who would love to work in food and media and Um, are willing to put up with all the shit that you put up with when you were 24 years old and you didn't know better. But I'm not 24 years old anymore, unfortunately. And I no longer think, um, you know, shagging chefs is cool. (laughs) Not that I ever thought that, of course. Um, um, I'm I'm a a woman who's going to be 40 this year and I'm a parent of two children and I have um, lived and worked at the heart of the good food movement since I was 20 years old. And, And, you know... has it been worth it do I really have an awful lot to show for it and as someone who cares passionately about food and change and will always work in the context of food what does what does the future look like now that I've chosen to reject those more traditional uh those more traditional hospitality careers for example so um that's sort of where I'm at I've got two pieces coming up over the next couple of weeks I've been writing a piece about the Bristol food media landscape or lack thereof a bit of an exploration into the relationship with our food critics and food bloggers and the quality of some of the work being put out and uh, whether or not we really benefit from an active diverse food media landscape here in Bristol and then I've been working on a second piece 
uh, called A Tale of Two Mayors, which was um, a look at a Twitter spat that took place between current Mayor Marvin Rees and our ex-Mayor George Ferguson over the last few weeks. Um, I want to talk about levelling up and what it means to level up for everybody, uh, um, whether community inclusion and access means levelling down to the maximum common, you know, the, the, the largest common denominator, so the most people can have most access at cheapest price, um, or whether we um, can actually take a different view and a different approach to what real inclusion and what real community levelling up looks like uh, in the longer term. So those are the those are the pieces that I'm working at, um, at, on the, at the moment. I'm off to Devon shortly on the last of my wild uh, storytelling weekends. I've been working with Dr Martin Shaw in the School of Myth this year. Uh, they are largely responsible for this giant upheaval of my entire life, um, and so I'm off. <clears throat> I'm off down to Devon for the next few days, um, and I will be back in the land of the living on Tuesday. I'm really sorry about the quality of this recording and the background noise. Uh, I'm going to have to work to make them less amateur in the future. Um, uh, keep listening, keep reading. Um, uh, your thoughts and comments and uh, recommendations really do mean the world to me at the moment. Um, and I will be back next week with more.